My name's Chris. Like Charlie said, I'm the student minister here um, at church at Cane Bay. Sorry, Pete, you're too tall. I got to drop this thing a little bit. Um, kind of want to pick up a little bit where uh, Charlie left off last week. Um, he spoke about preparing for the permanence of, uh, of Christ. He said, Christ is coming. We, uh, we believe that as Christians, Christ will return for his people. We read in uh, Revelation about that. And he spoke about preparing for the permanence of Christ. His last point, his final point, is that we need to tell others that good news. We need to tell others that Christ is coming back. We need to tell others that Christ loves them, that he wants that relationship with him. We need to have those difficult conversations. Those conversations aren't easy to have sometimes. Um, they're, they're not easy to approach people with that topic. People don't like talking about religion. People don't like talking about God, especially in this day and age. Small talk, on the other hand, that's a little bit easier. It's a little bit easier to sit there and, and talk about the weather or sports. Myself, in my job, for those of you who don't know, I'm also a manager at a Moe's Southwest Grill up in, uh, in Somerville, and I get to small talk all the time. The way my restaurant's set up, people start, they come in, they order, they walk down the line, we make their food for them, etc. We have a specific amount of time we want to move a person from the time they order until the time they get rung in. So being that we're on kind of a time schedule, I have about 45 seconds to interact with this person in front of me as I'm building their, building their burrito or their taco, whatever it is they get. So sitting there asking their toppings and I can, I can small talk away. Hey, kind of cooled off outside, didn't it? Or, or maybe you want something different on your taco today. Or how about those tigers beating those Gamecocks yesterday? Whatever it is, small talk. I, I can do it all day long. The NFL game that afternoon, whatever it is, I can small talk your face off. Cool thing is, 45 seconds, that one person's there in front of me. Wait another 45 seconds, I got a brand new audience. I can sit there and use the same topics over and over and over. That's easy for me to do. I do it all the time. Now, the difficult part, sometimes that kind of permeates my own personal life too. Sometimes that small talk kind of permeates my own personal life. I get home from work, my neighbor's out front next door, and I'm like, hey, how about those tigers? Hey, how about, it's supposed to be colder this time of year, isn't it? Small talk, again. But when it comes to the opportunities of actually talking a little bit more in depth with him, or having those conversations with some of the employees that work for me, or maybe a family member who doesn't know Christ, it's a little bit more difficult to do. It's a little bit more difficult to do. Those deep conversations aren't easy. They aren't easy to have at all. We struggle with having those conversations with people. We struggle with having in-depth conversations sometimes. That's hard to do. I also think several times we struggle to have that in-depth conversation with God. We're comfortable where, we at, where we're at. We're comfortable with our own lives. We're comfortable with our own schedule that we do over and over every day. We're comfortable. We like to have God kind of at arm's length sometimes. Keep him over to the side. Small talk with God sometimes. But when it comes to having that in-depth conversation, when it comes to digging in a little bit deeper with God, we're not too comfortable with that. We don't like doing that. I want to I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. We're going to look in chapter 3 today. Now, we've been talking recent weeks about 
encounters with God. What happens when God shows up on the scene? We saw God show up with Jacob wrestling. We saw him in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We saw him show up to Saul, who later became Paul, on the road to Damascus. Today, I want to look at a guy named Moses and how God showed up to him and what happened. The book of Exodus is a beautiful book about God rescuing the Hebrew people from under the thumb of the Egyptian pharaoh. They were in slavery. They were bondage. And the whole book is this beautiful story about God rescuing the, the Hebrews and taking them to the land that he had promised them in what is now modern-day Israel, the land of Canaan. Exodus chapter 3, we see God show up in a little bit different form. He doesn't necessarily show up in human flesh form, but he shows up, his presence, as a burning bush. A bush that is on fire, but not necessarily consumed. Myself, you can talk with my parents, they're here this morning, and they can tell you stories about things I did with fire when I was younger. I like to catch things on fire. I had a little bit of a pyromaniac in, my, in me, all right? I'm familiar with how fire works. You set something on fire and it's going to burn up, all right? This wasn't the case with this bush here. This wasn't the case. It was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. So we pick up Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, I'm sure you probably have some kind of electronic device. You can check it out on the Version app. Bible's on there. If you don't have a physical Bible and you'd be interested in one, we have some back there at the Connect table as well. We would love to give that to you. That's our gift to you. Well, we're going to look in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Pause right there. God shows up to Moses and says, Moses, I got big plans for you, bud. I have big plans for you. I want you to have a serious conversation here with the Hebrew elders, and I want you to have a serious conversation with Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, quite possibly the most powerful man in the world at that time. Okay, say that Moses, I'm going to be here and I'm going to help you and you and me together. We're going to help these Hebrews get out of Egypt. We're going to help these Hebrews get out of Egypt. Okay, the Hebrews have been enslaved. If you're familiar with the story of Genesis, they had come to Egypt in a time of famine. They didn't have any food. Egypt had plenty. So the Hebrews get there in Egypt and they start multiplying in numbers. 
They grow bigger and bigger, and the Egyptian pharaohs grow kind of weary of this foreign people living among them and end up making them their slaves. All right, long story short, we pick up with Moses here, and God shows up and says, Moses, it's time to have those serious conversations. It's time to have those serious conversations. You look in the next verse, verse 11, check out Moses' response here. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, who am I? I'm just little old Moses. I'm just a shepherd watching sheep. Sounds like an awesome life, doesn't it? I'm just a shepherd. Nothing special about me. There's nothing special about me. The background of the story of Moses is is pretty awesome. He was born to Hebrew parents. Moses was a Hebrew, okay? He was born to Hebrew parents and... The Pharaoh, who again was wary of these Israelite people living amongst them, made a, a, a decree, said, hey, we need to stop some of this. Let's kill some of these firstborn Israelite men, Israelite babies. So Moses' mom came up with a plan to save him from that, puts him in a basket out on the river. The Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, ends up taking care of Moses. So Moses ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house, gets an Egyptian education, kind of on the high end of society, very privileged as compared to his Hebrew counterparts. He kind of wants to check out how the rest of his people are doing and ends up seeing an Egyptian beating another Hebrew slave and that angers Moses. These are his people. These are the Hebrew people and he sees this man getting beaten up and Moses gets angry and Moses kills the Egyptian. Moses is a murderer. Moses is a murderer. He looked around. He didn't think anybody saw. He hides the body, goes about his business. Next day, he sees two Hebrew men kind of arguing back and forth. He says, guys, you're, you're of the same blood. Why are you arguing here? What's, what's the deal here? And one of them says, who are you to tell me that when you just killed this guy yesterday? Moses gets scared. Pharaoh finds out Moses runs for his life. Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. Moses was 40 years old when that happens. He flees to the land of Midian, becomes a shepherd. Verse 1, if you remember, says he was tending the flock of his father-in-law. Moses didn't even have his own flock to shepherd here. He had been in Midian for 40 years by this point when God shows up to him. So 40 plus 40, do the math. Moses is 80 years old. He's made it through his life okay. He's, he dodged death when he was a baby. He dodged death when he was 40. He's making it all right right now. What need does he have of God? What need does he have for God? God, I'm doing all right. I don't, I don't God, just stay at arm's length. Stay at arm's length. I'm comfortable where I'm at, God. I, I've done nothing special. I'm, I'm a murderer. You can't use me, God. We use those same excuses, don't we? We typically respond the same way. God shows up to us and we're like, God, I'm, I'm not that special. What have I done to, to warrant you to come to me to say, hey, do this for me? God, I'm not that special. Who am I? Who am I? Check out verse 12, God's response here. He says, Moses, but I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He says, guess what, Moses? I'm going to be with you, bud. Moses, you and me, we're going to be best friends. 
Moses, I'm going to be right there beside you. And once you lead these Hebrew people out of Egypt, you're going to worship me right here on this same mountain with that Hebrew nation. Moses, this you and me. We got this. I'm going to be right there beside you every single step of the way. Encouraging words. Moses kind of balks at this idea though. He knows God. He's, he's obviously somewhat familiar with God. But he kind of balks at this idea. He likes the idea of God being at arm's length. He likes the idea of God just being over here in this corner and can talk to God maybe whenever he feels like it. But let's not, get, let's not go too overboard here, God. Let's not go too overboard here. Verse 13, Moses responds, okay, if I come to the people of Israel, God, if I decide to do what you're telling me to do, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God, what if they ask me, by whose authority am I coming? Who's sending you, Moses? Who told you to come talk to us, Moses? What am I supposed to say, God? The society at that time in Egypt was a polytheistic society. They believed in many different gods. It's very possible that the Hebrew people could have been affected by that. The Hebrew people could have been slightly paganized and, and thought of many different gods as well. Maybe one of the Egyptian gods is sending Moses. Who knows? So it could be a, a reasonable question. God's response in verse 14 and 15 is absolutely awesome though. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I am has sent you. That's the authority here. That title, that name, I am, encapsulates so much about God. So much about God just in that one title. I am, he's eternal. He is. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is. Period. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He created the universe. The Old Testament describes him as the one who breathes stars. By his breath, stars are made. Stars. Huge stars. Okay? He sustains life. Everything that is living is living because of God. He's all-powerful. He can do what he wants. He has that much power. He is sovereign. He's in control of everything going on from those big stars, from the the earth rotating on its axis down to the breath that you and I have right now. That God, I am, wanted to have a deep relationship with Moses and said, Moses, I'm gonna be right there with you. It's you and me. I want more than small talk, Moses. I want conversation. I want some in-depth conversation here. So that should be enough for Moses, right? This big, this powerful, this awesome God shows up and says, Moses, I want to be friends with you. Who wouldn't jump at that opportunity? I mean, we'd be standing in line, sign me up right now, right? Check out Moses' next chapter, chapter four, verse one. Then Moses answered, but behold, they won't believe me. Or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. God, this is cool and everything that you said you're going to be with me. This is awesome that you want to be my friend, sure. But uh, God, what if, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me, God? God, what if, what if I show up? What if, 
What if I go talk to my neighbor and he doesn't believe me? What if I talk to that coworker and, and he doesn't believe me? What if, what if he asks me a question that, that I don't know the answer to? What do I say? God, what, what if I tell that coworker about your love and he just laughs in my face, just blows me off? What if they don't believe me? God's already said, Moses, I'm going to be there with you. That wasn't enough for Moses. We see this repeating over and over to where God, Moses doesn't trust God. So God, in his patience, because he's already said, God, Moses, I'm going to be with you. That should be enough. But God is patient with Moses and said, you know what? I'm going to give you a couple signs here. So we pick up verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses says, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Excellent spot right here to show how much Moses is like you and I. You have a staff in your hand. God tells you to throw it on the ground. What do you think is going to happen to that staff? I mean, natural reaction, you think it's just going to be a staff and bounce on the ground. It turns into a snake. What does Moses do? Moses runs from that snake. I'm not a fan of snakes. The snake shows up in front of me, startles me. I'm going to do the exact same thing that Moses did. I'm running. I'm not just going to casually walk away. I am booking it. That's what Moses did here. That's what Moses did here. He ran. But then check this out in the next verse. The Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. We said Moses didn't trust God, but there's a little bit of trust starting to happen right here. Okay, there's a little bit of trust starting to happen right here. God says, hey Moses, that staff you just threw down, it's a snake now, grab it by its tail. All right? I don't have a whole lot of experience with snakes, but I'm smart enough to know you don't grab a snake by its tail. Okay, Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter, you watch that show, he never grabbed a snake by its tail. You don't do that. What happens if you grab a snake by its tail? It's okay to respond here. He bites you. That snake's going to turn right around and bite the fool out of you. Okay? You don't grab a snake by its tail, but Moses does that. Moses makes a small step in the right direction here. He makes a small step in the right direction here. He picks up the snake, and it turns back into a staff. God uses this sign as an excellent picture to show how he can take something ordinary, like a shepherd's staff. Shepherds use that staff to not only herd their sheep to beat off wild animals, to protect the sheep, to protect themselves possibly. It was an ordinary thing that a shepherd had. God can take an ordinary thing like a staff and make it something extraordinary, make it something powerful into a snake. He can do that exact same thing with little old Moses. He can do that exact same thing with you and me. Little old ordinary me. Little old ordinary you. God can make the ordinary into something extraordinary pick up in verse 6. God gives him a second sign. In case one sign isn't enough, God's patient. God's going to give him a second sign. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And when he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. He's obeying God here. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God says, 
Stick your hand inside your cloak, Moses. He pulls it out. It's covered in leprosy, an incurable disease at that time. Okay, probably somewhat frightening. It says, put it back in your cloak, pull it back out. The hand's restored to full strength. An excellent example here of how he's asking Moses to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. God can take something powerful. God can take something strong and wither it away in a second. Make it diseased. In the same way, he can take the Hebrew nation who are under the thumb of that Pharaoh, who are enslaved, something weak, and turn it back strong just like that. Turn it back, restore it to its full health immediately just like he would end up doing with the Hebrews at that time. Maybe that's not enough signs. Maybe God, maybe Moses needs one more. We pick up in verse 9. It says, Even if they will not believe these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. He said, Moses, go over to the river, scoop up some water, pour it on the ground. It'll turn into blood. Those of you familiar with Middle East, Northern Africa, geography, there's a lot of desert there, okay? The Egyptian, um, Egyptian empire was built around this Nile River. That was their source of life. That was their source of strength. Without the Nile River, the Egyptians probably would have never flourished. No pyramids, no sphinx, none of that stuff. No pharaohs, okay? God showed Moses right here that he can take the strength of Egypt, most powerful nation in the world at that time and take that strength away. Take that strength away. Moses needed a little bit of prodding here. He needed some signs. God's giving those to him. God's giving those to him. So you would think that would be enough, right? That would be enough for Moses. God's given him three, three signs. He turned a staff into a snake. Took his hand, made it leprous, healed it says, hey, you can take the blood of uh, the, the water from the Nile and turn it into blood. More than enough proof. Pick up in verse 10 and see what Moses says next. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. God, I can't talk good. God, I, ca- I can't talk good. You know that. I can't talk good. I can't speak good. I don't really know that a speech impediment is very likely here because Moses really seems to be arguing with God pretty easily. So I don't think that's necessarily the fact. Could have been that he hadn't spoken Egyptian in 40 years. So maybe he needs to dust up on that a little bit. That, that could be. That's reasonable. Maybe stage fright, shyness. I mean, God is asking him to go to the Pharaoh here. God is asking him to go to the most powerful man in the world and have that deep conversation with him. Again, we've already stated those conversations aren't easy. Moses kind of a little scared here. Kind of a little fearful here. Moses is saying, God, I don't have the skill to do what you're asking me to do. God, I don't have the talent to do what you're asking me to do. I can't go talk to the Pharaoh. He's already said that though. He's starting to repeat those same excuses. God, I can't, I can't go talk to the Hebrew elders. God, they're not going to believe me. I can't do that. It's just little old me, God. God shot these excuses down 
over and over and over, and yet he does this again. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you, Moses. That's all you need. I'm going to be with you. There's nothing wrong with your mouth. I made your mouth. I will use your mouth. I will work through you. I will be with you. Moses seems to, I mean, this is the second, third time that God said that. Moses seems to conveniently forget the fact that God said, I'm going to be right there with you. Maybe, maybe Moses is actually avoiding that fact. Maybe Moses purposefully wants to keep God at a distance. Maybe Moses is scared to death of doing what God wants him to do. Just like us. It's difficult to do what God wants us to do sometimes. It's difficult to step outside of our comfort zone. It's difficult to go have those conversations with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family. It's not easy. That's not easy. Moses keeps throwing out these excuses. God keeps shooting them down. Verse 13 of chapter 4, Moses runs out of excuses. And we see Moses' true heart here. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. God, send someone else. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. There's got to be somebody better. There's got to be somebody else. God, send somebody else. Send someone else to talk to my neighbor, God. Send someone else to talk to my coworker. Send someone else. Don't send me. Send the pastor at the church. He can talk to him. He's trained to do that. He's good at that. I'm not good at that, God. Send someone else. Send someone else. Don't bother me with this, God. Give me some space. Stay at an arm's length. Let me just be me over here. You be you over there, and we'll be good to go. We just small talk every now and then, God. We don't have to have this deep conversation. Don't send me. Look into it a little bit more. God, I don't trust you. God, I don't trust you. You've told me you're going to be here with me. You've given me all these signs. You've given me... You've shot down every single excuse I have. God, that's not enough. I don't trust you. Just keep you over here. Just keep you over here. I don't trust you enough to get that close to you. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We like to keep God at that arm's length. Our actions say we don't trust God enough. We pick up verse 14 See God's reaction to this. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Moses says, God, I don't trust you. That angers God. Rightfully so. And he says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. You know what? You say you can't speak good. We got Aaron here. I know for a fact that he can speak well. 
he's going to go with you. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to be right there with you. I've given you these signs. You still got your staff. You're going to have Aaron with you. I will be with you. That's enough. That's enough. Moses, or God, is acting kind of like a good parent would at this time. Now, I'm not a parent, but I was raised by good parents, and I can tell you, when I was younger, if they asked me to do something, I better do it. If I said, you know what, no, I'm not going to do it, they didn't say, okay, that's fine, you don't have to do it. No, they said, you're going to do it. All right? That's what God's telling Moses here. He said, Moses, you're going to do it. He doesn't give him an option. He said, now go. Now go. Guess what? Moses ended up going to the Hebrew elders. If you continue to read the story, Moses ended up going to those Hebrew elders. And guess what? The Hebrew elders believed him. Not like God had said that last chapter. The Hebrew elders believed him. Moses went to Pharaoh, told him the truth that God told him to tell. Uses the staff, makes it into a snake. Uses the leprous hand, water from the Nile to blood. Uses these signs that God gives him. Pharaoh watches as God uses him to lead the Hebrew people out of the bondage of slavery. Moses never would have imagined that as a mere slave or mere shepherd in Midian. Would have been beyond his wildest dreams to walk across the dry ground of the Red Sea as God parted it and let the Hebrew nation escape the wrath of the Pharaoh. Would have been the furthest thing from Moses' mind. God, I can't do that. A little bit of trust a little bit of obedience. And this relationship between God and Moses flourishes beyond Moses' wildest imagination. Moses ended up being a mighty tool, one of the most powerful, one of the the most renowned men of the Old Testament in the hands of God. What started as an encounter with a burning bush in the middle of the wilderness in Midian turns into a great relationship, a flourishing relationship between God and Moses here. And if you look later on in Exodus, we're going to go to chapter 33 real quick. Chapter 33, verse 11, we read this. Thus the Lord used Moses, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then further on down, verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. 
And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What started as an encounter with a burning bush turns into an awesome relationship with God. And in the end, God and Moses, the Bible says, are talking like man talks to his friend. This is the closest in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that man comes into contact with the presence of God. New Testament, God shows up in the flesh. Before that, this is the closest thing that happens. It says, Moses came down off the mountain and his face was glowing because of the presence of God. What started out is that small encounter ended up being a great, fabulous relationship. Moses, who resisted God for so long, ends up being best friends with God. No small talk, no talk about football, no talk about the weather, but those deep conversations ended up happening. Not only with God, but with the people God wanted Moses to go talk to now this morning, we can sit here and we can analyze this conversation over and over. We can talk about the different responses. We've only kind of brushed the surface of this conversation here. God had to work with Moses some. God had to poke and prod him along. He has to do that with us sometimes as well. But the cool thing is, a lot of the work that God had to do, that God has to do for us, is already done. A lot of that work is already done. 2,000 years ago, God showed up on this earth in human flesh and did that work on a cross, died for you and me. Guys, Jesus did not die on that cross for you and me just to be an acquaintance with him. Jesus did not die on that cross so that you and me could just have small talk with him every now and then. Jesus did not die on that cross so that we can kind of keep him over here in this corner and say, God, help me when times get rough. God, stay over there until I'm, I'm comfortable, comfortable with, with talking with you. God, I'll give you part of my life, but my finances now, nah, God, that's, that's, my, that's my deal. God, I'll give you part of my life, but my marriage, eh, I got that under control, God. God, I'll give you, I'll give you part of my life, but I, I'm not going and talking to those people, God. Send someone else. Send someone else. Jesus, God in the flesh, showed up and died on that cross so that you can have a, a relationship with that same God, with I am, with the most powerful being in the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the eternal one, the one who loves you more than anything, the one who created everything yet is intimately in love with little old you and me. But God, what have, what have I done to deserve that? Who am I, God? 
That's just it. It doesn't matter. It's not about you and me. It's about God. It's about his glory. Are you keeping him at arm's length this morning? Is there a part of your life that you're just not willing to, to have that conversation with him? Is there an area of your life that you're just keeping him at arm's length? God, you stay over there. Just having small talk with God? Or do you have an actual deep relationship with him? To where you talk with him like a man talks to his friend as Moses ended up talking with him. Ask the band to come on back up. I want you to think about this for a second. We said God didn't die for you to be an acquaintance. God didn't die for your neighbors to be an acquaintance either. Maybe you say, maybe this morning, Chris, I've, I know I have that relationship with God. I'm there. But maybe you're not telling people. God, I'm okay with acting like I'm supposed to. I'm okay with acting like a Christian, but God, let's just keep it at that. I'm, I don't necessarily want to go talk to my neighbor. I don't necessarily want to go have that deep conversation with my coworker. We don't trust God with that. Maybe we don't trust God with that. The cool thing is just as Moses did not, or just as God did not give up on Moses, God isn't going to give up on you either. He's not going to give up on you either. You can run. You can keep him at arm's length all you want. You can compartmentalize every part of your life and only give him part of it and keep this part over here. God's not going to give up on you. God's not going to give up on you. I pray this morning as we get ready to, to leave this place, we get through the holidays, we've had our time of rest, we've had our time of family, our time of food, we get to get ready to go into this holiday season. And I pray that we as a church, Church of Cane Bay, will effectively go out and tell this community about that loving God. Tell this community that that God I am intimately loves each and every one of them and wants that relationship with them. That he's not going to give up on them. No matter where they are in life, he will not give up on them. And he makes that same promise that he made to Moses, to you, to me, and to them and says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I am, will be with you. Guys, I pray that we won't fight it as much as Moses did. We'll trust God, that we'll obey God and say, you know what? Just as Moses said in the very beginning, God, here I am. Let's go. Let's go. And in the end, just like Moses had that relationship with God and ended up seeing God basically face to face, that'll be our hope in the end as well. And everybody around us may have that same opportunity. 
that every man, woman, and child within a 10 radius, 10 mile radius of this place will have an opportunity to come and know Jesus Christ on that personal level. That's my hope and prayer this morning. That we as a church can make that happen. That we don't put it off any longer. And that starts right now. Not this afternoon, not tonight, not tomorrow. That starts right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for those hard conversations. God, I thank you for, for pushing us, for not giving up on us. God, for loving us even when we didn't deserve your love. God, when we had done nothing to deserve your love, yet you still intimately care about us. You still chase after us and say, I want to be best friends. And I want you to go out and tell other people about me. And I want you to get outside of your comfort zone and tell other people to have those difficult conversations. God, challenge us, embolden us to make sure we do that, to make sure that starts right now. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name.